You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our Greenville teaching pastor, Matt Humphrey. I love food. It's not a secret. I talk about it a lot. Um, I'm a fan of food. I'm a food. Yep, that's me. Um, and what I realized, there's, there's a huge difference. Um, I had this conversation with my wife one night. We're sitting on the couch. Um, and sometimes Sunday for us is like cereal for dinner. Don't judge us. You're better than us. Um, and uh, I was eating my cereal. And at the end of it, I was like, do you ever just get sad like at the end of your bowl? <laughs> Thinking I'm, and she's like, yes. I'm like, oh, I felt like I was the weirdo. Like anyone else experienced that? Like you get to the end of your ice cream, you're like, oh, I wish there was a little bit more. I wish, you know, okay. Um, <laughs> Thank you. This is my people. Okay. Um, our heart is this. The, the reason we're, we're in a series going through Ephesians chapter by chapter, uh, one of our hearts is there's a big difference between eating food for sustenance and eating food because you enjoy it. And, and our heart is that as we do this, that we wouldn't just like churn through this, but we would slow down enough to savor. We would slow down enough to like to digest and to take in God's word and to see it for all of its worth. And so that's why we've been kind of going through this series chapter by chapter. And today we got a long one. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, we're going to be at Ephesians 4. For sake of time, I'm going to jump in, but let me give us a, a recap. You know, before you watch the next episode, it was like previously on. That's what we're going to kind of do real quick. Um, so back in Ephesians 1, uh, Paul, remember, drops these like bombs, these truth bombs, and explaining the gospel and what that means for you and I. Uh, because the reason we gather on Sundays is not because God is in the business of making bad people good people. It's because God is in the business, biz, business? Wow. <laughs> Got it real, 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 real for a minute. God is in the business of making dead people alive. And that's why we, we don't worship because it's, we were kind of bad and he made us good. No, we worship because we were dead and now we're alive in Christ. And that's what Paul is talking about. He's like, hey, we're blessed by the Father and that through Christ that we're adopted and we're redeemed, we're, we're adopted into this family of God and then we're empowered with the Holy Spirit to do the things that God has called us to do and that Holy Spirit is a seal uh, of our salvation. Uh, and then Ephesians 2, um, Alan brought a great message, uh, incredible, and I love this. It's always stuck out with me is that how the, the brokenness of this world and sin is just a backdrop for God's grace. Um, and Ephesians 1 through 3 deals a lot with what this means to us. And then 4 through 6 is how does this play out within the context of the church. Um, and then last week, um, how the gospel is the thing that brings unity. Uh, not our likes, our dislikes, not our, uh, our sports teams, none of that. But the, the gospel is the only thing that's powerful enough uh, to bring unity across culture, across, across uh, um, everything, um, and how the, the church gets to display the beauty and the wisdom of the gospel when it actually does what it's called to do. And so uh, that's kind of where we're at. Um, so we're going to jump in. We're going to start Ephesians 4. We're going to start in verse 1. Let me pray for us, uh, and then we'll, we'll, we'll jump in. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We pray that right now that your Holy Spirit would speak to us as we read your word that it would illuminate, that we would see it for what it is, that these are not just words on a page, but they are alive. They are breathed by you, God, for our correction, for our instruction, for our rebuking, and for our teaching and training. 
And God, I pray that we would push past everything that we brought through the doors today, everything that we have to do as soon as we leave, and we would just um, have the ability to take this moment and to say, God, what are you wanting to speak to me? And we, Lord, Lord, we know that you are faithful and that you speak and you give us wisdom when we ask. And we ask that right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So three points today. There's a lot of ground to cover. Um, I'm going to stop every so often. We're going to unpack this. Um, so don't get nervous. Uh, Ephesians 1, we're going to start in verse one, Ephesians 4. Sorry, verse 1. All right. It says, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. All right, I'm going to stop there. Now, that's not, not setting precedence. I'm not going to stop every three verses. You're like, Matt, we're never getting out of here. Um, but we're going we're gonna to stop there, actually, just for a moment. Because the first thing is that we, this first truth that jumps out in the first three verses is that we should continually evaluate our lives. As followers of Jesus, we have to continually evaluate our lives. Uh, Paul highlights in this five, uh, five kind of uh, qualities, five virtues, and we're going to go through them. I'm going to tell you what they are, and then we're going to unpack them a little bit because there's, there's enough here that we can just sit here all day. But he says, be humble, gentle, patient, bearing other bearing with one another in love and to make every effort to keep peace. And so we're going to unpack that a little bit um, as we, we go through this. But um, what embodies this calling, he's like, hey, this high calling that we have as followers of Jesus that he, he described in verse, chapters one through three, uh, there's aspects of this that, that we need in our life. Uh, the first one is humility. Um, I was going to try to pronounce it, but I'm not going to. Uh, the, the Greek word that they use for, for, um, for humility in this, they had to make up. They had to create a new word for it because at the time, humility was, we see somebody who's humble, we're like, that's a great person. They're humble. But humility was actually looked down upon. It was despised. It was cringeworthy. It was, it was like, why would someone be that? Because they prided themselves on this like full-heartedness. And so they had to create this word. No, I'm still not going to pronounce it. Um, to, to, to explain what this humility means, and there's two aspects of humility. There's the self-knowledge in which we are conscious of our unworthiness. We're conscious of our sin. We're conscious of, of our faults, of our failures. Um, it, the, to face oneself like we're our own worst enemy. We're our own worst critic. We see everything that no one else sees. And so humility is a right recognition of self. It's seeing us for who we really are, not who we let other people see who we are, but who we really actually are. And at the same time, it's setting that beside the life of Christ. Um, it's in light of all the demands of that, that God is perfect and to satisfy the perfection uh, of God is, is not difficult, it's actually um, impossible. And so he's saying if we walk with humility, that that's a, that's a starting ground. Humility looks good on everyone. You've never met someone that you're like, man, I wish, I, 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 they just don't need to be humble. Like everyone you meet, like humility looks good on everyone. And the, the, the famous quote is this, is that humility is not thinking less of oneself, but it's thinking of oneself less. 
Humility is taking yourself out of the orbit of the universe, of realizing that everything doesn't revolve around you and I. That this world, we see it from a me-centric point of view, uh, but instead we have to see it from a Christ-centric, right? Humility is this proper like, understanding of who we are and who we're not. Uh, the second uh, trait that jumps out is this idea of meekness or gentleness. Um, praeus, 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 there we go. Uh, there's two main understandings of this. Uh, this word in the Greek was used by Aristotle to identify the mean between basically two extremes of a trait. Like meaning there was like irrational anger in which you fly off the handle at everything. And then on the other side is like, you can never get angry about anything. He said the mean, the praeus, is this winning spot to where you're mad at the right things at the right time and you're never mad at the wrong things at the wrong time. Does that make sense? Like there's a righteous anger that when we see injustice, we see abuse, we see suffering, we see, uh, we see uh, innocent loss of life. There's this injustice that wells up within us, this righteous anger where we're like something has got to be done. But at the same time, there's not this. He's saying that we, we're, we're angry at the right time, at the right place with that, but we don't have this uh, unhealthy anger. He's saying this idea of gentleness uh, is praeus is the is is that middle ground that that being in the in the in the right spot. It's also used for a word uh, a word used to describe an animal that's been domesticated that's under control, that by by voice by command by anything, and so he's saying, hey, in order to be to be gentle to be meek, it's not passivity, it's not being a doormat. He's saying that this idea of meekness and gentleness is this strength under control, is this middle ground between not being led by emotions, but the right moment, at the, the, the right amount at the right time, but also that the Holy Spirit, as he bears uh, self-control in us, right, that, that we are under self-control, that we yield to the Spirit. All right, the next one is kind of a cuss word for some, is patience, right? You ever prayed for patience? You probably only did it once. Because God in his goodness is like, all right, I'm going to put you in a situation where you need to like, increase your patience. Um, patience is a funny one. Uh, this idea of long-suffering. Uh, it's, it's a follower of Jesus has patience which never admits defeat. Um, it's in patience that endures hardship, adversity. But it's not a patience towards something. Uh, it's, it's patience towards person. It's patience towards one another. It's this uh, one, one commentary explained it, this idea between like a, an old mature dog and a, yupping, uh, a yipping puppy, right? Uh, we, have a, we have a golden doodle and uh, we have a friend of ours who had a golden doodle that when ours was kind of a more adult and this one was a puppy, um, our big dog who barks at everything and terrifies people was up on top of the couch to get away from this puppy. He's terrified, right? Knowing full well that he has the strength to just like end this puppy's life, he's not going to, Right? You're like, don't hurt the dog in my imagination. Um, but it's this idea that like the older dog can take this thing out, but it has this patience to realize that it's just a puppy, right? That it's, it's, it's lacking in wisdom. It's immature. It's, it's, it's this restraint. So when he talks about having patience, it's having patience with your coworkers, having patience with your boss, having patience with your kids, having patience with your in-laws, 
right? It's this patience towards one another, this long-suffering. The fourth one is love. He talks about to, to do this in love. Um, the Christian idea, the early Christian idea of love was so countercultural as well that they had to take a, an interesting form of the word love when it comes to the Greek. It was the word agape, right? We know that there's, there's multiple, in the Greek, multiple forms of, of love. I've covered these before, but eros was the romantic, passionate love between a husband and wife. Uh, there was phileo, which was this uh, friendship, this companionship, this brotherly love. There was storge, which was the word for familial love, like as you would love your, your sister or your brother. Uh, but then this word agape was a charity-like love. Um, it was an unconquerable benevolence of a person with agape love. You stop at nothing to, to fall short of seeking that person's highest good. He said that kind of love is what you should bind on your hearts. It's how you should live. That kind of perspective towards your, uh, towards your neighbor towards your family, towards your spouse, towards those that you don't even like being around. Um, it's not emotional love. Agape love is a choice. And then number five is peace. The fifth thing that he talks about is peace. Uh, Barclay says that every one of the four Christian virtues depend on one thing, on the obliteration of self. So long as self is the center of things, so long as our feelings, our prestige are the only thing that matter, this one thing can never fully exist. It can only exist when he says to make self the center of things and when we think more of others than we do ourselves. Self kills peace. Um, like if, if we just stopped there, we prayed and we went home, I think we have enough to do's, right? He's saying, hey, of this, if, if you're gonna walk in a matter, in a manner worthy of your calling, like, are you peaceful? Are you humble? Are you gentle? Are you patient? Do you have love? He's saying, are, are, you, are you walking with this? He's saying, in, in light of the fact that we were dead, now we're alive. The fact that we were in bondage in our sin, but Christ redeemed us and freed us and set us on a new path. The, the fact of all that he's, in light of all that he's done, he's saying, hey, walk the walk. You say that this message has transformed you, guess what? Live it. And Paul is, is, is saying this, that, that word even of worthy is like you, you go to the store and you, you, buy a, uh, you buy squash and you put it in the thing, the, the, the weigh thingy, you know? It's a real scientific name. And it tells you how much you weigh. Like, like you would go to the market to buy something, you would put it in one side and when you put your money on the other side and it would, it would balance out when it was, it was worth that thing. In light of what Christ has done for you and I, in light of what he just highlighted in the last three chapters, take your life and bring it up to that standard. That's what you should shoot for. That's how you should live. So walk. It's a, it's a rhythmic, it's a, it's a tedious, it's a daily, it's a daily journey. It's not a sprint. And for all the non-sprinters in the room, they said amen. All right. Um, all right, let's keep going. Ephesians 4, 4. He says there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You see a pattern here? 
one and all? Okay. But each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it said, when he ascended on high, he took many captives. He gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Uh, pause for a second. Paul is uh, actually quoting kind of, kind of uh, Psalm 68, 18. He's kind of bringing that and he's changed a few words in this, but whether he's talking about as Christ came down to earth to be born of a virgin, whether he's talking about um, before the resurrection as he descended to, to preach to those that were in captivity, but he's saying that the, the premise is, is that, um, that he set captives free and he gives gifts to his people. Verse 11, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. He says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. All right, the second truth we're gonna look at is that every single believer has a role to play in the church. Every single, if you have put your faith in Jesus, um, guess what? You're on the team. You have a role to play within the church. We're all built different, but we serve the same purpose. Uh, I heard a pastor explain it like this. He's talking about this idea how Jesus gave the gifts, and he was like me as a pastor. He's like, I'm actually a gift from Jesus to you, so you're welcome. Um, but it's this idea that, that, that he gives gifts. Now, verse 12 says the purpose of those gifts the evangelists, the prophets, the, the apostles, the teachers, the pastors, the purpose of that gift. I, I learned the hard way in my first few years of ministry because I, um, I can be a perfectionist at times. I can micromanage at times. I can always, we can do it better than trusting other people, right? Um, I, I tried to do so much myself instead of relying upon the awesome godly men and women that he put around me to, to, to do ministry with. And and what Paul says is that the, the role of, of those offices, the role of those gifts is not to do all the work. That he's saying that my, my job as a shepherd, as a pastor, is to not do all the work, but to equip you to do the work of the ministry. You're like, hold on. I didn't sign up for that. You You did. The, the, the role is, is not so that it just becomes the, the people who are on staff or, 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 or some uh, religious elite or, or certain type of personality, a certain type of people. He's saying that the, the role of every single, you, you got saved, God puts you in a family called the church, and in the church, you've got a role to play. And our job as pastors is to equip you to do the work of the ministry, meaning that you have a a role to play, that you have responsibility, that you have, uh, that you have jobs, um, that 
if you're not serving somewhere, I want to encourage you to do that. This is, this is not because we're like, hey, we really need this. And, and as a pastor, I'm asking you to do it. This is because I want what's best for you. And God radically changed my life when I got involved serving in a church. I never, I was like, a, I'll go to on Sunday, but serve, that's for the holy people. That's for the super duper Christians. That's the ones for the mansions in heaven. And, and what started as me volunteering, hanging out with some kids and trying not to drop them and beat them up or something, I'm here not because I was like, this is a career path. I'm here because God changed my life. Now you're like, I don't want to be a pastor, so I'm not going to serve. Thank you. You connected the dots for me, right? No, but what I'm saying is we don't decide the gifts that we're given. Jesus does, the Holy Spirit does, right? He gives every single person a gift, some multiple gifts. You, you don't get to be like, I, I want the gift of singing. Didn't happen. Never gonna happen. And I don't even know if my voice is gonna be good in heaven. Like, is that bad? You know, but like, every single follower of Jesus has been giving gifts. And the purpose of those is not your benefit is not my benefit. It says the purpose of those is to administer God's grace in its various forms, is to build up the body in unity. He's saying the reason that he gave you the gift of leadership or of teaching or of encouragement or of giving or of caring, the reason he gave you that is because he wants you to use it within the context of the body so that as the body is built up, the world sees something that's different, that we can be salt and light. The truth is, do you ever stop and think maybe that gift isn't for your own benefit? Maybe the reason he gave it to you is because he wants you to do something with it. Because he wants you to utilize it and leverage it for his kingdom. Um, equipping has that idea. It's the same word that's used when you've broken a bone and you reset it. You put it back together in the right thing. That idea of equipping is, is putting things in its right order. It's not stretching you just outside of your comfort zone. It's actually aligning you with the way that God made you and designed you. We are not made to be the center of our own worship. You can't handle the weight of worship. Nothing can. Only God can handle the weight of true worship. Everything else crumbles under the weight of it. And we were designed to do things within community. And I, I, am, I can be accident prone at times. Um, two weeks ago, we were carrying a, a couch down the stairs. My wife had sold uh, and, and uh, turned in the corner. Thought it was the last step. Turns out there's two more. And uh, rolled my ankle, messed it up, fell down. The couch falls on top of me. And meanwhile, our front door is wide open. These two strangers are staring in the driveway, like looking at like, what an idiot, you know? And my kids are like freaking out because, you know, it was like, Anyway, it's just one of those scenes. And so I get up, and as being a, a stubborn, macho dude, I'm like, it didn't hurt. Uh, and so we loaded it in, they left, and I'm like, I'm just really hurting. I, I, I do dumb stuff like this all the time. I have told you this before, but like, sometimes you slam your hand in a car door or your pocketbook. I did my head one time. No, I, I, I slammed my head in a car door, my own car door. I shut it, and it was my head still there. Like, you couldn't even try that one if you tried. Try it. My, my little toes 
I've, I can't even really bend him. I've broken him so many times because I'll walk past a piece of furniture and he's like, hey, you know, just jumps out. And I'm like, part of something's like, I wish I didn't have little toes because then it wouldn't hurt because I would just walk right past it. And that, it's that extra like, you know, half an inch uh, that's setting me apart. Real talk. I think sometimes we, 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 we see this context throughout, used throughout the New Testament of comparing the, the church to a body, to a physical body. And, and if we're honest, we look at ourselves and think that we're a little toe. We think that we're, we're not a, an important part. We think that, you know, I don't really have much to bring to the table. I'll fill up a seat on Sunday morning. No, no, no. What he's saying, every single person has a gift. And when they work together in unity, when everyone's pulling their weight, when everyone's being a part, when everyone's using what, not somebody else's gift, when everyone's using their gift that God gave you, there's a beautiful thing that happens because the body works together the way it's designed the way he created you and I to do it. Christianity is not a spectator sport. If you're in the team, you're, on the, you're, you're in the game. Um, there's this quote by uh, J.C. Ryle. He's an Anglican bishop in the 1800s in Liverpool, and he says this. He says, there is a common worldly kind of Christianity in this day, which many have and think they have enough. A cheap Christianity which offends nobody and requires no sacrifice which costs nothing and is worth nothing. Ouch, right? This idea is that, that we, we, we often will put up boundaries and put up walls and put up things that are, we think intend to self-protect us but actually keep us captive. The best version of you is doing life with other people. And look, whether, whether your church home becomes renovation church or not, to me, is irrelevant in this. You need to be somewhere that you can get planted, somewhere that you can grow, somewhere that you can do life with other people, somewhere that you can utilize the gifts that God has given you. You're like, how do I do that? I don't know. What's needed? Look around the church. What's needed? What do I have to offer? Where's an opportunity to, use, to steward that well? We're stewarding them because they're, they're gifts, remember? They're, they're not talents, they're gifts. And God gave them to us, and he wants us to use them. Like, I promise you, serving will change your life in the greatest way possible. All right, let's keep going. Verse 17. You're like, how are you going to land the plane in time, Matt? Have no fear. We won't. Um, so I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardenings of their hearts. He's, he's talking to Gentiles. <laughs> this is kind of, you're like, I'm right here, bro. It's kind of awkward, right? Saying, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your formal way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And thirdly, 
is that maturity of mind and heart produces maturity of conduct. He's saying maturity of heart and of mind are what produce maturity of conduct. Behavior modification works to an extent. If, if you're trying to break free from addiction or if you're trying to uh, bring order to your life when it comes to your health, when it comes to your, your eating, your exercise, whatever it may be. Behavior modification helps in a sense because one, if, if I'm trying to eat healthy, behavior modification would be don't put a plate of brownies on the, on the, on the, on the uh, countertop, right? Now, is, is just by eliminating that, does it mean that I'm, I'm in a, the right frame of mind? No. Because if I want brownies, guess what? I can go to the pantry and I can whip up some brownies in 45 minutes. I will eat me some brownies. But at least the behavior modification removes the temptation enough to not have to rely just solely on willpower. Because if I walk past it, I'm probably going to eat it. Let's be honest. So behavior modification is good. And here's, here's the trap. Is that we can grow up in church. You can hear all the right things. You can believe the right things. And you can try to be a good person, whatever that may be. But if your works is not based on a posture of heart and mind, they're worthless. Because you're, you're just playing a part. And he said, he's saying that, that that should flow from the change of heart, from the maturity of heart and the maturity of mind. I, I grew up, I've said this before, I grew up knowing the Lord. Um, around second grade, I gave my life to Jesus. We went to church. I knew, uh, I, I knew that God loved me. I, I knew the basics of it. But then there was a, there was a season of, of life where I had always like just tried to do the right thing. But there was a season of life when I, when I moved to South Carolina as a freshman in high school. There was a season of my life that I, even before that, where I just, I went the other way. And it's different to like, to not know the truth and to live one way. For me, it's even more bitter to know the truth and to live a different way anyways. And, and for some that when I, and God radically got a hold of my life in, in high, towards the end of high school and in college. And when he did, I, I'll, I'll see people that I knew from high school and they're like, one, you lost a lot of weight because I was larger. And two, they're like, you're a, you're a pastor? Like what kind of church? You know? What color is the Kool-Aid? Is it a cult? You know, like, what is the, what is the whole thing? Because of, of how my life was. Because you, you, can, you can try to do, there was this turning point where I was like, I'm not gonna do the good things to try to, to, try to win approval. I'm gonna, if, if people are going down a bad path and I'm accepted for doing that, then I'm gonna do it, and I did. And it led to destruction. It led to heartache. It led to a lot of bad decisions. But the transformation wasn't one day said, you know what, I'm gonna try to be a good person. It was a revelation of like, I've been bought by the precious blood of Jesus, that not just to, not just to, to save me, but to give me a hope, to give me a purpose, to, to give me a life to live. And it was this changing of the way that I think and changing the, my, my heart. I went from hanging out with drug dealers to now like I have the privilege to be a part of watching God build disciples. It's not because I strive to try to be a good person. It's because God changed me. He's saying, look, you were once that way, but that's not who you are anymore. 
And sometimes it is a daily decision to take off the old self and to put on the new self. So daily we wake up, we gotta take off the old self and to put on the new self. It's this idea like, I don't like winter, I like summer, fall and spring are okay, but it's like when it's chilly enough, when you put on a hoodie, a hoodie is just like, can we make that business casual? Can we just set that as a standard? COVID kind of did that for us. But when you put on a hoodie, you're just like, oh, right? It's just this like idea. It's, the word used is like sinking into clothing that they use to describe this, putting on clothes. It's like sinking into clothing. It's this idea that, no, 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 that's who I was, but that person is dead. And that the, the flesh is gonna come up, the flesh is gonna tempt. It's not just, oh, I'm saved and I never face sin again. Sin, what was that? Oh, I remember that. This, I saw uh, this article, that, uh, Apollo 11. They go to space. They, they land on the moon. They're in space for, what was it, eight days? Eight days, three hours, 18 minutes. Uh, Buzz Aldrin, Neil Armstrong, all of them, they come back. And before they, after they splash down, before they're, um, they're, they're picked up and before they come into the general population, they had to go through customs and immigration. They were on the moon. And they had, to, they had to fill out customs forms. In fact, some of this they did to be funny, uh, but they said, flight number, Apollo 11. Layover, moon. Cargo, moon rocks and moon dust samples. Anything that could lead to the spread of disease to be determined. <laughs> Even astronauts now, when they go to the International Space Station, they have to go through customs when they come back. It's like there was not an animal or livestock or fruits and vegetables. I didn't touch any of that. And, and uh, uh, Chris Hatfield, a Canadian astronaut, he said this. He said, it's, funny, it's a funny but necessary detail of returning to Earth. That even though from this glimpse of time, he's looking through this window, peering at this, this beautiful planet, and then back down, you're like, well, you're a human again. And we have to understand the perspective that when we are saved, it's not that the fight goes away. It's not we surrender our life to Jesus, and then from here on out, it's just cupcakes and unicorns. He's saying every day, you're gonna have to get up, guess what? And you're gonna, have to, you're gonna have to take off the old self and a reminder who you actually are. No, no, in Christ, I'm a son of the king. In Christ, I'm a daughter of the king. I have been bought, I have been ransomed, I have been plucked out of the miry, play, the miry clay and set on a new path. That yeah, that's who I was, but Christ came so that that's not who I am. And he goes on, to, oh, I love this actually in Psalm 103. It's what happens is that God changes the desires of our hearts. He says, Psalm 103 says, praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. For who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I think sometimes we think that this idea of God satisfying our heart is this idea of God, my desire is a red Lamborghini. And you satisfy that? No, it says he satisfies the desires of our heart with good things, meaning that we, we desire happiness, but he, he 
the greatest thing he could give us is the joy that we find in him. We, we set our sights so low on what we desire, but over time, one, God satisfies those, those deep yearning desires with the fullness of the things and the gifts that we find in him with the good things. And two, the most, like one of the most important things is that he changes the desires of our heart. Because when you were still wearing the old clothes, the desires of your heart was not righteousness. Your desire of your heart was to like, keep living it up. But as the longer we follow Jesus, the more bothered we are by our sin. That's maturity. The closer and closer we get to the cross, the more and more bothered we should be by our sin. He's in the business of restoring and training. And then I'll summarize the last little bit. He keeps talking about, hey, don't do this, don't do that. Put off this, quit doing that, knock it off. Paul's kind of like a parent in this. I, I read this from a perspective of a parent because like throughout the whole thing, he's like, look, walk the walk, do your part, grow up, and get dressed, you know? He's like, put on the new clothes. Quit, quit doing all the other stuff, like in this loving way. And so I, I wanna just leave us all, beginning with myself, with two questions for us to, to, to reflect on today. Is that am I walking in a matter, in a manner worthy of the high calling? That if we were just to be brutally honest with ourselves, is, is the way that my daily walk is, is it of equal worth of the calling that he's placed on me? Is it, is it equal? Am I, am I living up to that standard? Am I walking in a way that when people see me, it's like there's something different about them? There, there's something different about their countenance. There's something different about their joy. There's, there's something different about them. And the second thing is, where in my life do I need the daily reminder of putting off the old self and putting on the new? It may be the first thing that you gotta do in the morning. Some seasons, like you're like, before you even open your eyes, like old self off. It may be before you talk to your coworkers, okay? It may be before you talk to your boss. It may be before you drive on Woodruff Road, right? Because that old self just wants to come out and just salute them and tell them they're blessed and highly favored, right? But, but where's the, the reminder? If, you, if you've got to like go through your, your, your mind, whatever you got to do to posture yourself, but remember, hey, that's no longer me. I don't wear those clothes. It's like you get out of prison and you still wear prison clothes. That's not how we live. We put off the old self and we put on the new. We sink in, hey, this is who God says I am. Not just behavior modification. It helps for a season. Because sometimes you got to do things you don't feel like doing. So if you rely on your feelings, you're never going to do anything, Right? If I, if I relied on working out to when I felt like it, I would never do it. Running from the devil, right? Like, sometimes you gotta self knock it off. That's not you anymore. Speak words of grace. And sometimes it's the heart overflowing. It's like, you know what? I gotta change that. I gotta fix that. I gotta go ask for forgiveness for that. Because that's not who I am. My heart would be as, as we are knit together as a people, serving, using the gifts that God has given us, allowing the radical transformative grace of God to change us from the inside out, the way that we think, what we believe, what we feel, and ultimately how we live. 
that we would be that beacon of, of unity that he's talking about, that beacon of hope. So let me pray for us as we wrap up today. Father, we love you. God, you, you are so faithful. You are so faithful to not leave us in our rebellion, but as your kindness leads us to repentance. And as you continue to pursue even the farthest prodigal, you are steadfast. You are never changing. And Lord, if we get to a spot in our life when we think that we've arrived or where we've grown callous, God, may our mind just immediately go to where we were dead in sin but God. And we would be reminded of how far you've brought us, of what you're doing in us, of the plans that you have for us. And it would cause us to, to walk differently, even with just a different posture about ourselves that may have been who we are or who we were, but it's not who we are now. And as we follow this journey of following you from now until we see you face to face, will we never stop walking? And more importantly, walking in a manner worthy of the calling. So Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. And it's in your mighty, your holy and perfect name. And all God's people said, Amen, amen. Church, we love you. As always, our prayer team is down front. We would love to pray with you for anything and everything. Church, we love you. Have an awesome week. God bless. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.